Hello and welcome back to the Vintage Podcast with me, Lena Norms. Today we're going, well, everywhere. It is summer, the temperatures are rising, the sun is shining, and where are you going on holiday? Do you ever dread that question? Well, whether it's time, money, or just the sheer effort that's preventing you from getting out there this summer, don't worry, we are giving you a bargain list of places you can say you're going when people ask you that dreaded question. I tapped into the hive mind that is the Vintage Book staff to get you a literary itinerary you can't refuse. You won't need to do currency exchange, pack factor 50, or remember your passport. Just sit back and let us take you round the world with some literary recommendations we think should be on your to-be-read pile. I am Liz Foley. I am Publishing Director of Harvel Secker, so I work in an editorial team publishing literary fiction, non-fiction and crime. I have chosen Amadou Karuma's Waiting for the Wild Beasts to Vote. It's set in an imaginary West African nation. The writer himself is from Côte d'Ivoire. Uh, And it's based on his experiences living and working in a variety of different um, African countries uh, in his youth. Uh, Well, it's a completely unusual and outstanding book. So the reason I read it first 20 years ago, but it's really stuck in my head because it is unique in the language, I would say. So the setup is that the narrator of the story is this ritual storyteller. So he has a kind of Function in the book where he's telling the story of this really unusual man who grew up. There were signs of greatness from when he was very young, but he grew up to be a dictator of this African nation, this imaginary African nation. But he is also a shapeshifter. So there is a magical as well as a political part to the story, which makes it completely unforgettable. Um, And he is a man who becomes evil but it, the book is about him as an individual, but it's also about kind of colonial history in Africa. It is about both kind of French, because he's a Francophone African writer, and so it's about the kind of French colonial history in these countries, but it's also about kind of Cold War politics there. So it's about how kind of Russia and the West divided up Africa and what they did to it and what the remnants of that have been. So it is really interesting because it's very, it was, I remember one of the reasons I really remember reading it is because it was hugely enlightening to me at the same time as being completely entertaining, very violent and brutal, but funny. So it managed to do like a thousand different things in one completely unique book. He died, sadly, the author, not um, maybe 2003, I think he died, but um, he was something exceptional, I think. So my name is Ed Grand and um, I'm the finance analyst at Vintage. So the book, which which I want to talk about is um, Home and Away by Carlo V. Nausgaard and Frederick Eckerland. So Nausgaard is obviously mainly famous for um, his My Struggle series, which is his intensely autobiographical um, series of six novels, whereas Home and Away is a series of letters, or probably emails, um, written between him and Frederick Eckerland in 2014 over the World Cup in Brazil. Um, but it's not just a football book. It is what's what's fascinating about it, and why I loved it was you've got um, Eklund in Brazil following all the football games there, and Nausgaard at home in Sweden. They're living very diff- different lives at the time. So Eklund's out there, and it's and it's hot, and it's um, he's living a sort of hedonistic lifestyle out there, going out, having cocktails, playing football on the beach with strangers, and then you've got Nausgaard at home. 
um, looking after his kids, smoking, doing bits of writing, and sort of general daily life, mundane activities. And what's brilliant, so they're, they're writing a series of emails or letters to each other sort of day by day as the matches progress. So, you, I mean, partly it is, in, in a sense, it's a great book about kind of this sort of male bond between them and this thing of switching and, and I guess almost this like lost art of letter writing, email writing, when you're sending these long letters um, and, you know, so I'll start by talking about the football game they watched last night and you've got, yeah, Eklund watching it in Brazil and... Nascar watching the same game at home in Sweden. And then the sort of letters go on to branching out into sort of politics and art and how football relates to some of those things and just more broadly what they're up to. The difference in the attitudes in football, which is really comes across in the book, is that Nascar likes these games which are which are sort of tense and tight and um, it's you know, quite not cynical football, but these teams that really grind each other down. There aren't loads of goals. Whereas Eklund, he has this sort of love of Brazilian football, which I think, you know, was sort of where it's all flair and um, and skill and passion and and sort of beautiful, beautiful football. And and I think it kind of comes across in how he's writing about the country in that he's he's living a sort of kind of very open party lifestyle in that he's as I said he's sort of socialising with people and and um, there's no doubt when he's kind of having these cocktails on the beach um, in Brazil you're like I, I would quite like to be there. I just think there's something magical about um, people writing letters to each other and there's just that's this thing of witnessing the sort of this relationship slowly evolve and you know the way they're quite com- sweetly compliment each other. Um, it's just quite touching. So, I mean, it's, you don't have to be remotely interested in football, but if, if you're interested in the kind of just how people actually develop relationships and through, you know, the written word, I think it's great. I'm Ellie Steele. I'm the senior editor at Harville Secker and I work with a lot of our international authors on the list. Uh, the book I've chosen is Sudden Death by Alvaro Enrique, which is translated by Natasha Wimmer. It is set all over the place, but um, Alvaro is from Mexico originally, um, so... Half the book is set in 16th century Mexico um, with the kind of clash of empire between Hernan Cortes and his conquistadors and the last of the Aztec emperors. Um, And the kind of main backbone of the book um, is a tennis match in Rome between the Italian painter Caravaggio and um, the Spanish poet Francisco de Quevedo. Um, So that's also the clashes and the warring of um of empire in in europe as well it's funny it's alive um the the tennis matches this kind of perfect mirror for what's going on at the time so artistic and religious revolution um these kind of huge warring personalities there are these amazing set pieces caravaggio is this kind of libertine anarchic kind of wild character Cavedo is more kind of a representative of imperial Spain and totally loutish and they're just having this kind of they're slugging it out during this tennis match and the tension's kind of rising and falling as like each point is played um, but also I think it's making a really serious point about the clashes of empire and um, colonising another place and I think what's what's really fascinating is um you get this kind of incredibly global perspective because you see the parallels between what was happening in Mexico and what was happening in Europe. And Alvaro has this amazing, 
almost kind of outsider's eye of all the machinations that were going on in both places. Um, so, yeah, it's a great overview and it's really fun and, uh, yeah. Uh, my name is Corina. I work in the publicity department and I am a publicity assistant. I picked Kafka on the Shore by Haruki Murakami. It's set in Japan. It was actually my first Murakami book and I read it about seven years ago, I would say, and I fell in love with it straight away. I think it's one of the best magical realism novels I've read and it has a man that talks to cats, so what's not to like? <laughs> it does make me feel like I've been. A lot of cultural signifiers, um, a lot of space... And a, a lot of description, good risk description of um, cities and places. Um, yeah, it, it's. I think it really uh, makes you feel like you're there when you read it. It's bonkers, basically. It's absolutely bonkers, and it's uh, very fun to read. My name is Rowena Skelton-Wallace, and I'm the Managing Editorial Director of Vintage. And I try to make the trains run on time that's what I do so I manage the process of producing the books um, th from beginning to end uh, to make sure that we can publish when we want to I've picked The Noise of Time by Julian Barnes and it is set in Russia um, and uh, is and concerns the life of Dmitry Shostakovich and his relationship with Stalin and the uh, totalitarian regime. Uh, well, I first read it, I had to sit on my hands while it was in manuscript, and then I read it first in proof, uh, because I try to be an extra pair of eyes on particularly our major books, and I knew that this one would be. Also, I was very interested in, I mean, I'm interested in classical music anyway, so I was very interested in the Shostakovich aspect of the novel um, and I didn't know a lot about Shostakovich but I wanted to get to know him better and hadn't realised until I read it that actually this was the perfect way to do this and as a result of reading the book I um, immediately booked myself a ticket to see Lady Macbeth of Mutsensk at uh, English National Opera. It was, I think it's only the second time it's been performed in English and it was completely mesmerising, and I loved it. And um, and now I would really like to see it in Russian. Actually, the Russia that is covered in the book doesn't exist anymore, but it did exist, and uh, it was a very frightening place to be. And, I mean, one of the good reasons to go to Russia now would be because it's not like that anymore, which obviously is a very good thing. But, it, you know, it doesn't do us any harm to be reminded about what's particularly, I mean, the communist regime in this case, you know, how totalitarian regimes work and what they do to people and how dehumanising they are. And also shows how, I mean, in this case, Shostakovich, how he works through that and still manages to be creative um, which was a very important part of the book. I mean, how the man faced with what he was faced with, uh, with Stalin's regime, how he managed to uh, be creative and toe the party line when he had to is amazing. Um, and it, it really opened my eyes to that because I hadn't realised quite... Well, because I'd never thought about it before. I mean, you know, I know about totalitarianism and, um, you know, I did history at school... 
but it's not till you actually get down to the nitty gritty and how people lived and what you know knowing I mean the the beginning of the book the setting of the beginning of the book is uh, very telling and is haunting because Shostakovich right at the beginning of the book is standing by the lift with his suitcase in his apartment block um, because he knows that he will be taken away to be questioned and he knows that he may not come back again. He he does come back, but he has a very strange relationship with the the big house with Stalin, and um, and that that is the premise of the book, and it's how he manages it. But knowing what it feels like, or you know, Julian Barnes is imagining this, and so we don't know this is exactly what Shostakovich felt like. But you can imagine that you know this is what he felt like when he woke up in the morning, when he had his breakfast, when he uh, went. He had a, um, an American tour. Um, he was allowed to go and visit America with lots of Russian minders, um, and was asked questions and had to toe the party line, even though he obviously didn't want to. Um, you know, how do you deal with that? And this book tells you exactly how you deal with that um, and is very impressive and, in my opinion, is Julian Barnes's best work. It's a masterpiece. I'm Jade Chandler. I'm the editorial director for Crime and Thriller Publishing at Harville Secker. The book is called Watching You and it's by a Swedish author called Arne Dahl, um, set in Sweden, uh, Stockholm specifically. Arne Dahl's written a lot of books. He's been translated into 30 languages. Um, He's sold more than 3 million copies of his books around the world. Um, But Watching You is the first in a new series and it's just brilliantly breathtaking so I highly recommend it. The story introduces Detective Sam Berger, he's um, of the Stockholm police um, and it opens as he surveys the cellar of an empty house. There are blood traces all around, there's a concealed set of shackles secured into the wall. It's definitely a crime scene however there's no sign of the victim. Um, Sam is scouring the cellar um, and he notices a tiny mechanical cog, it's left lying in the corner of the room. But at that moment, instead of reporting it like he should, he picks it up, tucks it into a tiny evidence bag and he pockets it. So at that moment, you know that you're not dealing with an ordinary detective and Sam is not dealing with an ordinary murder case. The story is set around Stockholm, um, but as well as that urban setting, so you get a feeling of the grit and that kind of amazing Swedish gothic that you get in TV shows like The Bridge, for example. Um, But then there's also lots of action in the surrounding countryside, so there are beautiful lakes um, and, yeah, rolling fields, but all with um, lots of murder and thrilling stuff going on, so perfect holiday reading. Hi, I'm Michaela, and I'm the assistant editor at Harville Secker. So I've chosen The Traitor's Niche by Ismail Kadaray, um, which is an Albanian book. It was originally written in the 70s, but we just published it beginning of last year. It's set in Albania, but it's also set in the Ottoman Empire, of which Albania at the time was a very distant province, um, which in the book, Albania's um, rebelling for independence. So you should read this book for the richness of the language. Um, Kadere is just absolutely brilliant with language and creates such an atmosphere of terror of absurdity but also there's a lot of humor um if dark humor there's a journey in this book which takes you from the center of the ottoman empire all the way out to albania and it goes through province after province after province and what's so fascinating about it is that kadri wrote it when albania was an ultra communist country and completely you know um just isolated from the rest of Europe in one of the poorest countries. So in many ways he was writing this as a fable and an example 
um, you know, he was talking about those things. Um, but it really gives you a sense of what it's like to live in a country under terror where everything's being manipulated, like stories about yourself, stories about your country. Um, and so it's relevant today as much as it's telling us about Albania in the 70s and the Ottoman Empire. Uh, my name's Hattie and I'm the brand director at Vintage Books. The book I have picked to recommend to people to read this summer um, is a book called There There by an author called Tommy Orange. Tommy Orange is an American author. Um, he is Native American um, and his book is out now all over the world. The book is, is set in Oakland um, and kind of for, follows the story of 12 different characters as they come together for a powwow. Um, having read a lot of American fiction, um, the Native story isn't one that I knew anything about. Um, really, other than kind of uh, the stereotype, really, of, of the native person and, and their history. And so to read a book about um, urban native people was particularly interesting. Um, I think that the kind of stereotype of native people and their story is uh, people that have been isolated and um, set to live on reservations. And, and this kind of story about people that have relocated to Oakland um, over the last kind of 60 or 70 years was, was a new story for me to read. Um, as I said, I read a lot of American fiction. A lot of that fiction will be set in big cities. It'll be set in New York and, and San Francisco and Los Angeles. Um, and, you know, those are places we very much romanticise. They're the places we visit on holiday. Um, to read about Oakland was a completely different setting. It was something that we've probably seen a bit of on the news, but to delve a bit more into that city um, and what it's like to live in a city like that was um, a really brilliant reading experience. I think this is a really important voice. Um, he's such a brilliant writer. Um, the book is beautifully crafted and beautifully constructed. Um, it's funny, it's angry, it's poignant, and it's sad, a very, very sad story. Um, but at the end, it's, it's quite hopeful. Um, and I would really, really encourage people to read this just to get a kind of different take on the American story, um, especially with the uh, amount of press that there is, particularly um, at the moment about immigration um, and just looking at that kind of American history of um, how kind of minorities are treated in that country um, in a slightly different way. My name's Rosanna and I am Senior Campaigns Manager at Vintage and I work on vintage classics for the most part. I have picked Restoration by Rose Tremaine, which is set in 17th century England. Um, our protagonist is one Robert Merivel, who, when we first meet him, is just starting out in the world um, as a medicine undergraduate at Cambridge. And from there, he, by chance, by skill, um, becomes a physician to King Charles II's spaniels. And so you would think that his life would be made but it doesn't quite go smoothly. And what follows is a kind of joyous story of one man who is deeply flawed, trying to make his way in the world, wanting to enjoy himself, um, learning from his friends who have perhaps... Um, a stronger moral conscience than he does himself. But in spite of all his flaws, he's he's deeply lovable. Um, and the journey that you see him go on is is really rewarding. Rose Tremaine's language is a joy. It's very much um, of the time in which it's set, but completely kind of alive and, and vibrant. Um, 
It's a brilliant history lesson for those of you like me who are useless at history. There are really interesting kind of explorations of religion. Um, there's a whole um, section in uh, an asylum run by monks for people with mental health issues across the whole spectrum. It also encompasses the Great Fire of London, which is one of my favourite parts of the book. It's incredibly dramatic and it's where you kind of really see Merivale come into his own as a character um, and, and sort of find himself really in the way that he... Find 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 out really who he is and, and what he can do and, and actually see that he doesn't always have to be a buffoon. So you don't have to travel far always to go on holiday. And while this book is set in London and the Midlands, um, it does also take you on a trip back in time um, to uncover certain elements of British history. Um, and travel doesn't always have to be geographical. It can be temporal as well. And finally, it's me, Lena, back in the chair. Uh, I am the social media producer here at Vintage. And the book I've picked, you might have heard of before because we had Gail Fay, uh, author of Small Country, on the podcast a few weeks ago. Small Country is set in Burundi, uh, which borders with Rwanda. I've read books set in Rwanda before, but I'd never read a book set in Burundi. Uh, this is a fictional book that follows 10-year-old Gabrielle um, in 1992, uh, as he... Uh, suffers the effects of the kind of slowly brewing war just outside the walls of his pretty privileged uh, life. His mother is Rwandan, her heart is very much with the Rwandan people and the and the atrocities they suffer, uh, and his father is French and sometimes comes out with some pretty colonial problematic things, which his Rwandan mother is not very happy about. Gail reminds us with this beautiful book that um, the depiction of Burundi people and more widely African um, suffering isn't one story. Gail presents to us a life that looks much like our own and even when shattered by war the main character is very resistant and, and kind of there's an almost juxtaposition of the luxury and, and devastation uh, that can exist uh, in one postcode. It's a very visceral book. You can smell things, taste things, uh, see things in the sky. There's always, you feel surrounded when you read this book. And it really made me feel um, like I was there, a fly on the wall, watching Gabriel's family and and how they tried to cope. It's a, it's a beautiful exploration of tragedy, but also a tribute to Burundi before the war, what it, what it really felt like, tasted like, looked like. And I for one felt very humbled and privileged uh, that Gail Fay took us there with this beautiful book. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed those recommendations from the Vintage staff. Uh, do tweet us at Vintage Books and let us know which ones you'll be reading this summer. Don't forget to subscribe for more podcasts like this one. And until next time. <laughs>